In the message, as well as the songs we've sung, uh, we're going to be focusing on Jesus' ascension, and especially how his ascension relates to his church, the church. And we're going to have an Old Testament reading this morning, a gospel reading, and we're going to have uh, a reading from one of Paul's letters, Ephesians. First of all, Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. In all of this, Old Testament, New Testament, this is God's holy and infallible Word. Isaiah 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, for to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And then in... Uh, The Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell us about the birth, the life, the death, and resurrection of Jesus. And also, briefly, a couple of them touch on the ascension. And we have that here at the very end of Luke 24. Uh, Not a whole lot is said. This is what is said. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, that's when Jesus had led his group of disciples, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. And then we're going to read a couple spots in Ephesians. And I want you to notice, and I'm going to talk about in the sermon, the connection of, of the ascension, which, what it means about Jesus, and then ultimately what it means for us and the church. So Ephesians 1, verse 18 I pray also that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power, and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And then finally... Uh, Ephesians 4, 7 through 12. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That's why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and he gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers 
to prepare God's people for works of service. And a lot of, some translations say, and it's a better, more accurate word, to equip God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So that's not only our single scripture reading, our four scripture readings today. Friends, everything related to Ascension Day points to Jesus as King. You know, even back in Isaiah, when Jesus' coming was prophesied, it was said there, right, that the government will be on His shoulders. And of the increase of His government and peace, there will be no end. And it says, He will reign. He is our supreme leader, our ruler. Kings reign and they ascend to a throne. Uh, We read in Ephesians 1 that God seated Jesus at his right hand. So in all of this, we see that the Bible wants you and me to see God's Son, our Lord Jesus, as seated on a heavenly throne. Ruling. Leadership never ceases to be an important topic in the church, in the world. We we need, we want good leadership in government. We want it in our schools. We want good leaders at work in, in the church. You know, we just elected new elders and deacons who will be installed uh, for their service in a couple of weeks. With excellent leaders, not guaranteed, but generally with excellent leadership in an organization, things tend to go well and things tend to run pretty smoothly. With poor leadership, not always, but sometimes and often things can fall apart or eventually they will fall apart or not go so smoothly. On Ascension Day... We celebrate that we have a glorious leader. That's what we're celebrating. We have a glorious leader. The Bible says he is high above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. He's higher than any president or dictator or CEO, even of the largest company in the world. He's higher than anybody we can imagine on this earth today, or in history, or in the future. Guardians of the Galaxy 2 just came out. And from what I understand, the theaters are still packed There, in that movie, and in other Marvel or DC movies, and comic books that they're based on, creative people imagine superheroes and otherworldly powerful beings out in the depths of space or in the far future or even from the ancient past. All the language of the Bible, and from Isaiah 9 and Ephesians 1 and 4, as well as the apocalyptic visual language in the second half of Daniel and in Revelation, shows us Jesus is bigger 
Jesus is better. Jesus is stronger. Jesus is higher. More awesome. More glorious. This is the one, think about it, who accomplished our salvation. He went to the cross, not as a victim swept up by circumstances beyond his control, but he faced death by his own choice. And he said there, it is finished, effectively bringing salvation to all his people, to anyone who calls on his name. And then he defeated death and ascended into heaven to be seated at the right hand of the Father. The ultimate leader and king. And and you know what? He, in all of this, he did this unlike among our very best leaders. In all of this, there are no weaknesses. There are no skeletons in his closet. No recordings that could ever show up that would ever reveal a contradiction in his words or a flaw or a misstep or a mistake, but only always revealing perfection and beauty and holiness and grace and selflessness. This is the leader who we have on our side. He's with us, his church. He is our king, our leader. The Heidelberg Catechism says as much in Lord's Day Lesson 18. And I'm going to be referring more often to the Catechism during the sermon. Uh, The writers of the Catechism collected and summarized all the important topics in the Bible and, 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 and summarize them and say what they mean for us. Uh, what the Bible says on the ascension, you can find in the catechism in the back of the blue hymnal in your pews on pages 24, 25, and 26. If you'd like to open it up later or even now and, and refer to it a little bit as the sermon goes on. So one thing this all means is that Jesus pleads our cause in heaven in the presence of the Father. That's the exact language the catechism used. And so he, he reminds the Father when we sin that yet we belong to Jesus because he shed his blood for us. And that means Jesus is on our side. He's your king and mine. He's not just an awesome unapproachable being we only admire from afar. He is with us. And more than that, he's the church's king and leader. And in this season where we've been talking about building the household of faith, building the church, we need to know this. Ephesians 4 says, he ascended so that the church would be built up. Did you see that connection when we read it? It talks about the church being built. He ascended so the church could be built up. And what we're talking about today is that the church has a glorious leader. Our local church and the church worldwide. Because Ephesians 1 says all that stuff about Jesus. And remember, it concludes, all things are under his feet for the church. For the church, for his people, verse 22. So, 
what's the greatest organization to be part of? What's the greatest group of people? Well, the one with the greatest leader. So is it the greatest thing to be part of a great school with a great superintendent? No. I'm sorry, Timothy and Brian and Naperville North, though we love our schools, is the greatest thing ever to be a citizen of the United States of America. No. Sorry, Mr. Obama and Mr. Trump and every other elected leaders, though we love our country. Is it the greatest thing ever to be a Cubs fan or a Warriors fan? No. Though it's pretty great when our teams do well, and good leadership often makes a really big difference in in sports organizations as well as any other, it's the greatest thing ever to be part of the church. Though there's not quite as much glitz and glamour and bucks now, but I'll tell you just a secret, just wait until the victory parade at the end of the time. It's the greatest thing ever to be part of the church because the church has the greatest ruler, the greatest leader ever. It's King Jesus. And what we learn is that he's leading up there, not on a big easy chair. Jesus, our leader, is active at the right hand of the Father. He's on the throne. Every indication is that he's on the edge of his seat. He's surveying his dominion. He's vigilant, scepter in his hand. He's giving direction. He's giving commands for the church. What's he doing? How's he doing it? Well, it turns out he has some governing objectives. And I want to look at three of our leaders' governing objectives for the rest of our time and what they mean for the church and what they mean for Jesus building us up. And these are from our verses. They're from the Catechism. So here are our leaders' governing objectives. Our king leads, first of all, by implementing his strategic kingdom plan according to his vision. When someone runs for president, they share their vision for the country, their ideas, their goals. And uh, as they're running in debates and interviews, they're sometimes pressed for details, which sometimes these, uh, these people give some details. Other times it's not so clear what the details are. Um, but people want to know what is their leader's vision. And when you interview for a key leadership position in a company, you're going to be asked about your mission, your vision, your plan. How are you going to implement it? Well, Jesus has got a plan. It's a huge plan. It's great. It's the biggest plan ever. It's amazing. It goes back before the foundations of the world were established. When our triune God planned salvation and creation and decided back then the role the Son and the Spirit and the Father would play in all of that. And the Bible is, is, is a history. It, it tells us how that plan unfolds from creation to the fall to the promise of redemption. Isaiah 9 gives us some of the details. How would this plan unfold? Well, a child would be born. A son would be given. He'd be called Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace. And that promise was fulfilled when that son was born. We read about it in the New Testament. 
and of how he lived on this earth. And each step of the way, think about this, our leader's goals were met on time. And each step of the way, he never ever ran out of resources to get the job done. Nothing, no one roadblocked him. He had no miscalculations. He didn't ever need to gather enough votes to make this or that happen because he's in charge. He's got all the power. So our leader didn't only have a plan, he was successful in implementing the plan. And you know what? Uh, The plan isn't over. The plan continues. Ephesians 4 says Jesus is building his church through the ascended Lord. And his goal is to gather all his people to himself. His strategy is that his message of grace would be proclaimed in word and deed by the church gathered and sent out until the full number of the elect are gathered. All his people, that means. And even then, there's more. The Catechism says that with Jesus in heaven... It's a guarantee that Christ, our head, will take us, his members, to himself there. So he's preparing a place for us. The plan continues in the building of the church and in the future. The fact is, everything from before time began until now absolutely is a guarantee that that plan of our Lord's will continue to go well. Nothing will stop the church from moving forward in history. Not persecutions, prosperity that can make God's people live in spiritual apathy. We think often prosperity is a good thing, but prosperity, a lot of times when there's prosperity, God's people become, there's a lot of apathy there. So that's why I'm saying that, but that won't stop the church, even though it often has a negative effect on the church. Um, no hostile governments will stop the church. Satan and his demons. The church will move forward to the end of time according to the plan. And then after that, we'll join Christ in heaven. We use the language of the church triumphant and the church militant. I don't know if you've heard that before. You remember that. The church triumphant is the church in heaven. The church victorious. Sin gone. Satan thrown in the lake of fire. The church militant. That's the church now. We're battling against sin, the world, the devil. Things aren't always easy for the church now. There's struggle. When you you despair about the church, and sometimes as God's people we do, when you're, you're disappointed, when you, you have disappointment about the church, when you get frustrated with people in the church, when you get tired of the work and the service, the volunteering, the giving, people suffering, and all that it takes to build the church And then, you know, sometimes we get discouraged just because we don't always see the fruit of all our work and labor. But then, remember your leader. Then, remember Jesus and put your eyes on him again. Remember his plan. 
It's gone really well so far. It will continue to. And there's coming a day when the struggle, the disappointments are going to end. Jesus' church will follow where our Savior has gone before. We'll be translated from the church militant to the church triumphant. We'll see our loved ones again. We'll worship together, all of us, and many millions more perfectly without sin in the way anymore. And we get a small foretaste of that uh, as we gather and worship on Sundays. That's why worship with God's people, one of the reasons it's a wonderful thing, it's a foretaste of heaven. It's meant to be. Second objective, Jesus is strengthening his citizens with constant communication. He has a perfect divine ambassador, our leader, who perfectly communicates his will. Uh, The Catechism talks about Jesus sending his spirit to us on earth. Leaders and and governments, uh, they give, I, I, I think we call them press releases, right? press releases. And it's interesting, in the days we're living in, it seems like we hardly need that these days. The, you know, the president's Twitter account has about 30 million followers. Now, of course, important people like Katy Perry and Justin Bieber have 90 million plus followers. But for presidents to have that many million followers, it means he can pretty much directly communicate with his people. It's like presidents don't hardly need news outlets anymore, and there's been a lot of discussions these days and frustrations uh, about the role of the media. But as direct as that communication is, tweets any time of day, as direct as that communication is to uh, the followers of our president. That's got nothing in our king. Jesus sends his spirit directly into the hearts of his people. And with our leader's spirit's power right in our hearts, Jesus encourages us. He comforts us. He speaks his word to our lives. And and we trust that he's doing that right now as we're listening to his word at this moment. And the spirit applies that word to our lives. He doesn't leave us be or leave us alone. He's not aloof. He speaks to his people, his church. He communicates to us constantly by his spirit. And And part of that constant contact we read in our text is how the ascended Lord Jesus pours out his gifts on the members of his church. And so I think that part of what that means is he calls on us to serve him and he shows us how. He gives you the gifts. You've got the gifts from the ascended Lord and and we're meant to share in the building up of the church. And so... Our leader equips his citizens with constant communication as his plan unfolds and continues to and will to the end of time. It's not as if we never hear from Jesus. We do all the time in very special ways 
as the church gathers together, sitting around his word, and literally every minute of every day, he is with you. The Spirit is in your heart, brothers and sisters, empowering you for whatever you need, communicating to you the will of Jesus. And then one final objective, number three. Third, Jesus leads by overseeing the guaranteed safety of his citizenship. The catechism says that Jesus defends us and keeps us safe from all our enemies. Any leader, especially of a country, right, needs to defend the citizens. We, we can't be living constantly uh, in fear of, of, of nuclear bombs hitting us from rogue nations or in fear about crime in the streets or fear about terrorism. The thing is, and we know this, no earthly nation, no earthly leader can guarantee safety perfectly. Many people in our world and even in our nation in a lot of places are living in fear. They're not always safe. But our glorious leader guarantees his people safety. As the catechism starts it out in question and answer one, body and soul, in life and in death, now and forever, ultimate safety from enemies and from the results of sin and the fall, like like weaknesses in our own body, like cancer striking us, or, or a heart attack, or any health issue. The best of leaders, the best of doctors, the best of locations to live in like we do in these western suburbs, yet there are no guarantees from any earthly power or leader or having all the money and resources in the world that we will be kept safe. But there is a heavenly power, a heavenly leader, who can make that guarantee. Jesus has a defense department that is unmatched. He hinted at this already in the Garden of Gethsemane before the cross. Remember that? Uh, when, When he was betrayed and in the garden the soldiers came and then Peter, the chief disciple, came to Jesus' rescue, pulled out his sword, cut one of the the servant's ears. Jesus said, put your sword back in its place, Peter. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? A legion was a Roman military term, and it meant a a group of soldiers, uh, from the little bit of research I did and from what I understand, a group of soldiers of at least 5,000. Some people say uh, at least 6,000. So Jesus was talking about, hey, I've got, don't you know, i got 60,000 angels at my disposal at a minimum. And Jesus said, more than. So there were many more thousands available to him. And, well, what good does an angel do? How strong is an angel? Well, Isaiah 37, verse 36 gives us a clue. We read, an angel of the Lord put to death 
185,000 men in one night. One angel, 185,000 soldiers, one night. He's got more than one at his disposal. 60,000, maybe tens of thousands more. Talk about a defense department. And so you can be assured from what the Bible tells us that Jesus is able to keep his people safe. In addition to the armies of angels, all his people were all soldiers in God's army. And Ephesians 6 says that that we're equipped. He gives us everything we need. And in a sense, uh, in, in the church, God has his soldiers, uh, but he also has officers in his army. And maybe that's not quite the way to look at it, but it makes sense to me. And I, I think of um, our elders and deacons serving in office. Elders and deacons, you're officers in the Lord's army. You're protecting, defending the faith in this church with all the power of God behind you, the leaders, the officers scout ahead so the church avoids pitfalls. They plan, and, and the elders and deacons, the officers, equip all the soldiers, all of us, with all the equipment we need for the battle. And so think of that next time you see our deacons marching towards the front of church to receive the gifts of God for the kingdom and the church. These are officers in the army of God leading us. And each one of us plays a part in the defense of God's church, whether we're soldiers, officers, whatever. God uses us, he strengthens us, he equips us so that all God's people will be brought safely to their eternal home in God's perfect time. John 10, the shepherd of the sheep, says, nothing can snatch us out of his hand. A wonderful comfort will be kept safe. He defends us all the way to glory. And so aren't you glad to be part of this people, this nation, this church, the people of God? And it's because of our glorious leader. It's because of how he leads us perfectly. He successfully implementing his perfect plan from the beginning of time to the end. He's strengthening us, his citizens, with constant communication through our divine ambassador, the Holy Spirit. And he's overseeing the guaranteed safety of his citizenship with the defense department department that's literally out of this world. The people Jesus is building up to completion and one day to perfection, the church is the place to be. Jesus is the leader you need to follow. Let's keep at it together. Let's invite more people to join us. If you're a guest, join in what we're doing. All hail King Jesus, and may his will, his objectives, continue to be carried out in our lives and in this very church, for his glory, for the advancement of his kingdom, and for our benefit and blessing. Amen.